Guys, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you didn't draw a hunt this year, don't worry. There are still ways to get a tag and get out in the field. Not only are there leftover and OTC opportunities, but if you join GoHunt.com Insider with promo code JSCOTT by August 31st, 2021, you're also going to be entered to win $1,500 worth of Kuyu gear. You also are going to get 10 entries into GoHunt's Big Summer of Elk giveaway where you could win a 2022 New Mexico elk hunt and $15,000 in hunting gear. GoHunt Insider is the one platform for finding great hunts, researching new units, e-scouting, and planning your hunt. Now an added incredible value at no extra cost are desktop maps and maps available on iPhone and Android. Again, this is no extra cost. It's part of being an Insider member. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Sign up at GoHunt.com forward slash JScott and get a $50 GoHunt GearShop gift card just by using the JScott promo code. And also, don't forget, you're going to be entered into a drawing to win $1,500 worth of Kuyu gear. I also want to thank the gear shop at GoHunt.com and Cody Nelson, my friend of 20 plus years, the glassing guru. Don't forget, if you order on GoHunt.com or you call or text Cody at 602-399-3699, you're going to get a 10% discount by using the J. Scott promo code. You can also call the shop directly at 702-847-8747 or email at optics at GoHunt.com. I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship of this podcast. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for sponsoring this podcast. That is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. You can go to KUIU.com to order directly off the website. They're a direct-to-consumer company. They make the best hunting gear on the market today. Also, Phonescope.com. Use the JScott21 promo code. You're going to get a 10% off on all orders at Phonescope.com. Guys, thanks for listening, and let's get right to this episode. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a really fun episode. I'm looking forward to having Mark McMahon of Orange County, California. Mark is a real estate investor, and uh, as you guys know, I also do real estate, and I thought it would be great to have Mark on and talk to him about his real estate career. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jay. Thank you. You know, I love following you on Instagram, and I encourage the listeners to do that. I'm going to link that up in the show notes. Uh, Mark, before we really dive into everything, uh, why don't you give me kind of a 30,000-foot uh, view of, of Mark McMahon Real Estate and, and how you got to where you're at now? Gosh, well, you know, obviously, like most of us, rags to riches, it, was, it started out, it's so funny, one of... One of the guys just came in and showed me a video that they did of, of me over the past 12 years. And I actually started crying. It was like, geez, uh, we started off with nothing. You know, the recession hit and we, my wife, Yuko and I pretty much lost everything. And um, uh, long story short, I couldn't get a job. I couldn't find work. I'm a construction worker. Basically before this, I was always a construction worker, owned a construction company. And, uh, Ended up finding real estate investing, which seems like an odd fit, right? A lot of people, a lot of people that are broke, don't look at real estate investing as like a way out, right? You figure that's right. like the stupidest thing in the world. I'm going to go do something where you know I'm going to buy real estate and then what? 
but we actually made it work. We actually started off flipping houses and then we got stuck with one and that was our first rental. And that turned into that, that, that little house in Compton, California, grew into a 12 unit apartment complex that we still own in uh, Sacramento. Uh, and, you know, we just, we just kept pushing forward, man. A lot of, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, we still, to this day, you know, my, my thing is, is the three pillars. I, I think everybody should start off wholesaling because that'll give you your base, your, your money, and then move into flipping and then buy and hold. And we do all three of those to this day. And I think it's the, it's a, it's a killer formula uh, to succeed at this. So, you know, again, just to reiterate, we literally started out bankrupt, no money, cars getting repossessed. I mean, you've heard the story from a million people, but that's exactly where we started. Awesome stuff. I want to dive into a couple things that you said there. One was that uh, you had a property and you knew that you needed to turn it into a rental. Um, what was the point where you knew that that property was going to have to be a rental? Uh, good question. I glossed over that. So there was a time back when there was a lot of repo houses or REO houses, real estate owned, which means the bank took it back from the owner uh, in the you know early 2010s. Um, there was massive amounts. If you looked at MLS back then, it was all REO. And we uh, bought one through, we had partnered with this nonprofit. We were able to buy houses um, in the first look program. And then the nonprofit, uh, was able to make some money and we were able to make some money. It was a great thing. And, you know, somewhere along the way, he stopped paying his payroll taxes and, and the properties had to be vested in his name, but we used our money to buy them. And uh, we went to sell one of our flips and it turned out that he hadn't paid payroll taxes. There was a lien against the property, which technically he owned, but we had paid for. And so they said, no, we're not going to be able to close escrow. So it took us about a year to, to wind through the IRS and uh, get them to release that. Um, we had to jump through a lot of hoops. And by that time, we had rented it out uh, because obviously we couldn't close escrow on it. And it ended up cash flowing like crazy. And we kind of, you know, that was the first taste of ownership. And we kept that house for another two and a half years and sold it for a at the time, a big profit. Right now, we probably would get five hundred thousand dollars for it, and we bought it for about seventy-five. Um, the power of real estate, right? Yep. And we went and bought a twelve-unit apartment complex with with that money in Sacramento, California, that was empty and in bad shape. And again, we fixed it, and it's uh, still ours today. And uh, we owe very little on it, and it cash flows very well. Fantastic. I want to go even further back. Um, sure. to, to some of your first deals. So you're, you're dead broke. Uh, you mm -hmm. you get this idea that you're going to go into real estate. You've got construction background. So you have knowledge of how things are to be built. You, Correct. you, yes. you decide, Hey, I'm going to go into real estate. I don't have any money. Tell me and the listeners kind of how not only your first deal, but then, you know, how it just kind of parlayed into several deals. I'm sure is what, is what you're going to end up telling us. Uh Man, it's 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 kind of a, a sad and, and happy story. Um, we again, I mean, I can't I can't be more clear about how broke we were at the time. My wife was so despondent over it. She ended up. My wife is from Japan. 
she ended up taking our youngest son to go visit her parents. They sent her a plane ticket to come over and visit because she was in, you know, just it was, things were not going well. Right. And I wasn't sure she was going to come back. And so I called everybody I knew. And I said, look, guys, I'm in a rough spot. I don't know what to do. Someone said, uh, it was actually a title rep that I knew. They said, you know, there's this investment club for women. You should go to that tonight. They're having a meeting. And so I thought that's kind of weird, but what the heck? And I went, sat next to a guy that was flipping mobile homes and got to talking to him. And I ended up a week later, the proud owner of a $100 mobile home that was not really worth a hundred dollars. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I went and literally knocked on and talked, knocked on the door of every mobile home management office in Orange County and finally got someone to sell me something and probably didn't tell the entire truth about my background, but I ended up getting it. We made money and that was, that was the start of it. I did all the work myself. I think we made $14,000 on that deal. So was the it just strictly selling them a manufactured home or did you, were you able to put it on a lot and then sell the package? No, no it was already on a lot and it was sitting there empty and they didn't know what to do with it they were going to haul it off because it wasn't it, it had no value to it the roof had collapsed and there was pigeons living inside so did you go in and, and rehab it and do what you I knew did. and that's elbow grease and fix it up i did i did it all myself and uh yeah i spent about four weeks on it doing everything myself got it fixed up put it on the market i had my real estate license that i had gotten somewhere during the recession i don't know i don't even remember why i got it It just seemed it was one of those things i thought oh god real estate looks good maybe i'll do that right and got my license and that tended it it, it was pretty hard uh, back then especially okay, so, so yeah. you, flip, <laughs> you do your first deal and you make 14 and then you f you feel like the richest guy in the world you went from zero to 14 now what do you do with the 14 what what did you do next go look uh, for another one we bought groceries literally we went to the grocery store and bought some of the stuff that we hadn't done. We hadn't bought for a while. If that, that sounds weird. That was a, that was Nirvana, right? You guys we are surviving. You, you've made this oh, check and now it's time to eat. Like, yeah, now it's time to eat. I didn't think about doing anything right. else. This I, is real, know, real world stuff, right? This is, yeah. you know, yeah. Cars, cars were repossessed. We had picked up a, uh, a little pickup, uh, you know, on the cheap and that was it. That's what we had. So bought some food, uh, paid, kept the wolves at bay. You know, we paid, I think we made a couple of house payments uh, with that. They hadn't repossessed our house yet. You know, back then it took so long to get repossessed, but everything else got was gone. And we filed bankruptcy on top of that. Um, a very embarrassing time. And uh, I don't have a problem talking about it now, but two years ago, I probably wouldn't have. But we took, we took what little money we had left. And I partnered with the guy that I had sat next to at that investment club meeting. And uh, I found another deal. I went to a mobile home park, got another deal, put it under contract, and he provided the money for it. And so we kept that money and we just kept buying groceries with it, basically. And uh, he ended up, um, I, I wasn't really smart with, with real estate contracts at the time. I ended up doing, I found the deal. I did all the sweat labor. And he ended up, we ended up selling it and he didn't pay me. Meanwhile, I had gotten another one in the same park and we had the same issue. So I finally just, I didn't know what to do. So I walked away and uh, uh, ran into a fella and uh, he had a deal 
And at that time, I don't know, probably I'm going off into left field here, but during this time, my wife was blogging to people in Japan about real estate investing, and we were actually able to raise some private money. And we didn't really know what that was at the time. It was a really new concept. And again, keep in mind, this is 11 years ago. And uh, uh, with, with very little uh, knowledge, with very little experience, um, and we were able to parlay that into the next flip, which was when someone brought us a deal, we said, yeah, we can partner with you on it. And on that one, we made $3,500. So we made 14 on one. Uh, we had another small mobile home we made seven on, then lost on the next two. Then we made $3,500 on that first house. And we're still broke. Okay, I mean, this is over, over a year period of time. So, But I might I add, You've, you've done some deals and you're gaining confidence in what you're doing. You're still broke, but I, you're, you're getting I, the game and the wheels are turning and you're, you're gaining yeah. momentum, right? Yeah, still, still broke, still people knocking on the door, still basically just living, living on the edge grocery-wise this entire time. And uh, the partner on that one house that we only made $3,500 each on said, Mark, I got another deal. I looked at it and I went, wow, this one's better. And I think, I think we each walked away with twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars on that deal. You know, four months later, five months later. So a year and a half into it, we finally, we finally figured it out. I figured it out with my crew. I wasn't doing all the work myself at that point. Figured it out with my crew, and but I mean, the the thing people have to realize is it's it's not an overnight success. You're going to go through some some blood, sweat, and tears, and some ups and downs to figure this stuff out. And I mean, you can fast track it a little bit by learning from someone like me or someone else that's done a lot of it. Uh, you can avoid a lot of the mistakes, but man, you're still going to make some. You're still going to make some. But Well, and, pro- and truly, you don't learn until you make a few mistakes and, and, and do a few things right and make a few mistakes and do a few more things right. I mean, that's, that's in essence learning the game. Like you're out on a basketball court and you've got to learn how to play the game, right? And so now you've figured it out. This is now what a year's gone by, and you've kind of got a little momentum, right? You've made some year, money. Year, yeah, a year and a year and a half has gone by, and we've finally gotten the paycheck that's going to change things for us. And from then on, I mean, it wasn't certainly was. It's, it's, we've had some horrific things happen, but. I like to always say that it's two steps forward, one step back. So I'm always, or we are always moving forward, but there's that step back every once in a while that takes your breath away. But as long as you keep moving and keep swinging and keep swinging, it does work. It's when you quit that you lose, right? You don't, you never lose until you quit. Sure. Absolutely. Um, Going back to a couple of things you said, you first you said people should start out wholesaling, then they should start out flipping, then buy and hold. Um, could you explain to us wholesaling? Wholesaling is simply finding a property, finding a distressed property. It doesn't have to be distressed, but generally it is. And by distressed property, I mean the people have gotten too old, they can't take care of it, uh, someone's losing their house. It could be a million different reasons why a property is distressed. Um, finding that and offering a fair amount of money, but a quick a, a quick cash offer. In other words, we want to we want to get these people out of it quick. They don't want to deal with real estate agents or anything else. 
and we come in and offer them cash for it and we take that contract that we get for that cash offer and we show it to a lot of flippers that we know when we have an extensive list of flippers that we know in the area and one of them buys it and we put uh, a fee on it so that fee can be anywhere from ten thousand to you know a hundred thousand dollars depending on the house depending on how good of a deal we got the bottom line is they've got to look at it and go, okay, I can still make really good money on flipping this and I'm fine with you making money on, you know, you're the guy that finds them, I'm the guy that flips them. And so we literally sell that contract to the in buyer, the flipper, and he goes and flips it. And then, you know, that all goes through escrow and title. The, the home seller gets their money, we get our piece of it, and the flipper gets a house that he can then go and flip and uh, make his profit. So in so other words, a wholesaler is a guy that's out there looking and finding deals. That wholesaler finds a deal. He doesn't do the uh, renovations, the rehabs. He, he has a few guys that are re renovating and rehabbing. He turns it to them, says, here, come look at this house. They say, yeah, we love it. We'll do all the work. You say for 5000 you know, I'll walk away for 10000 mm -hmm. for 50000 whatever that fee may be, that's a wholesaler. Sure. Yes, now, a correct. flipper is a guy that finds a property, and I'll let you explain what a flipper is. Yeah, flipping is, uh, everybody's seen the TV shows, and it doesn't go quite like that, as you can attest to. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit different, but basically we're taking a house, uh, and, and we still flip. We, we try to flip at least one house a month, uh, if not more. But we, we get the house, and we go in, and we'll put a new kitchen, a new bathroom, uh, floors, roof, whatever. Whatever needs to be done to remodel that house to bring the value up so that we can make a profit off of it. So let's just use easy numbers. We buy the house for 300000 We put 50000 into it, and we sell it for four fifty. And after real estate costs and everything, we hope to make you know, forty to fifty thousand dollars on that deal. And that's basically what flipping a house is. Now right now, because the market is so crazy, uh here in, in mid two thousand twenty one, we can oftentimes go in and simply paint, put new flooring in and fixtures and, and turn that house around in a couple of weeks. I kind uh, which, of, I call that putting lipstick on the pig. Yeah, lipstick on the pig or prehab or there's a lot of different, yeah, but, but lipstick on the pig is pretty much what we use around the office. And uh, it, we try to make it move in ready or at least it's it's more of giving people an idea of what that house is going to give them a, a glimpse of what the house could look like. Because when we get them, generally they don't smell that good, they don't look that good, and we try to try to take that factor away. And then the buy and hold, um, explain that to the listeners. Uh, buy and hold is, everybody knows, I, I, I would venture to say that almost everybody in the audience has rented a house before, and somebody owned that house, and that would be your landlord, and that is what they're doing. They're buying and holding property, and they're renting it out. Um, that's how they make their living, a lot of people. So we've got a portfolio of 43, 43 doors. We have properties between California and Hawaii, which are two of the most difficult states to have rent rentals, but we do okay with them. Um, so you've got a property, you buy it, generally you're gonna fix it up a little bit, you're gonna raise the rents a little bit, and, and away you go. Um, and then I've got, if, if you know you care to go to my Instagram at Mark McMahon Real Estate, I've got formulas on there where you can kind of figure out 
if a property is going to be profitable or not and and how to how to look at it how to analyze it and how to figure out if that property is actually going to work for you as a rental there's a lot of expenses in there that people don't think about just like in flipping where someone says well if i buy it for a thousand dollars and i can rent it for five hundred dollars a month you know then it, then i'm going to be making money and that that may very well be the case but it might not be too you might have hidden expenses you don't know about so that's basically buy and hold what would you you say your strategy um is more now as far as percentage wise wholesaling flipping or buying and hold and has that morphed over time obviously it has when you started out you were wholesaling then you were flipping and now you're doing all of them but what would you Correct. say percentage wise of properties that you're running into and say in the last six months what's your strategy um we're doing more wholesaling than anything right now like i said we're we're trying to flip one property a month uh just because it's funny some deals don't work for other people but they'll work for us because you know obviously we've got a if we're wholesaling a property we have to put some sort of profit in there for us and that that might make it to where that's not a deal for anybody but we can actually do it because we have our own crew and they can go out and do the job fairly inexpensively and we can actually make a decent piece of money on it uh so percentage wise there's let's just say one of those a month let's say there's you know three or four wholesale deals a month and then buy and hold you know we'll sell a property and we'll move that money to another property and we're you know this last year we haven't been really bullish on buying a lot of properties uh there's been properties that would cash flow but we've actually only bought a couple and right now i'm i'm looking at the especially in california now keep in mind if i was in the midwest buying properties would not be an issue for me um even in phoenix you can cash flow there pretty pretty readily and um, there's a lot of guys that are doing it but in southern california you've got to do an awful lot to a property to make it cash flow because so of the high price that you have to pay because the prices are so high right now right. now i don't know if that's going to last or if you know wages will catch up and rents will catch up but yeah you buy a house here let's say in our in my city of costa mesa the least expensive house here is going to be probably around eight hundred thousand dollars for a three bedroom one bath whatever and that's if you're lucky enough to find something for eight hundred thousand dollars now that house is going to rent out for about probably three thousand dollars and that just as I'm sure you've heard the term before that dog don't hunt, right? It right. just don't hunt. And yeah, you can add an ADU, which is an attached or a, 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 a separate, separate unit, which is legal in California. You can add a second unit to your property here, but even then you've got to do an awful lot of magic to make that house actually make you money unless you're putting a, an enormous amount of money down. But whereas in Arizona or the Midwest, you can buy houses when in phoenix you can't buy a house for a hundred thousand but in the midwest you certainly can and the rents there are 12 to 1500 dollars a month and obviously that works there's a little a rule i don't really live by it but you know as long as you can get one percent of the uh purchase price in rent so in other words if the purchase price is a hundred thousand dollars and you get a thousand dollars a month in rent that's a deal sure right so that's real simple metrics right there sure so you know you can do that in the midwest you can't do it in california you can 
you can do it in parts of Arizona. Okay, so let's talk about that with the market and, and the expansion in the market and uh, interest rates being low and inventory of, of homes being so low has caused the prices to go up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you you started basically your real estate career in the bottom of bottoms and, uh, you know, after the 2008 crash. Correct. Um, what do you think, you know, just in looking into your crystal ball, what do you think the market will do? How long can it sustain this pace uh, of price appreciation like it has been? It's, it's going to be difficult to go much further. Here's the funny thing. The millennials are really kicking in here. You know, for so long, and, and, and to all of you millennials out there that are listening, I apologize because my generation crapped on you guys for the most part for such a long time. And just like, you know, the generation before me did the same thing, you know, it's like, oh, you long-haired kids, you're not going to amount to a thing. It's, 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 it's historically it happens all the time. But millennials got an especially vicious attack from a lot of people that were older. You know, it's like all you do is play video games, and now the kids are making $5 million a year playing video games. So there's a lot of millennials out there that are making a lot of money. It's a surprising, astounding amount of money. And I... That that factor right there gives me a lot of hope for the market. But the negative part, and then I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. The negative part is we've got so many people out there that are overpaying for property right now that probably they can afford it. But if something happens, one little bump in their life, they won't be able to. Um, I think I think we're we're nearing the precipice, but I don't think it's going to be a drop necessarily. It'll be a dip. Um, I think mostly what prices will do will, will probably flatten out um, and we'll take a deep breath and inventory will increase. Uh, I think interest rates will go up slightly. I think the 16 offers on a dingbat house on a busy street, that's going to melt away. So, um, looking into my crystal ball, be careful if you're buying property right now and you're caught up in that FOMO thing where you've got to get one, you've got to get one. Look, man, if the numbers don't work, don't do it. If you're not making money for cash flow from day one and a decent amount of it, you should not do the deal. But I, I do think, I do think there's going to be some bumps. And now, whether it's a year from now, two years from now, I don't know. That has a lot to do with people you and I can't control. Right. Yeah. Um, yep. For sure. Um, so with that being said, you know, going back to the wholesale flipping and the buy and hold, when things mm -hmm. soften up, whenever that may be, when they soften up, where like you yeah. said, you don't have 16 offers on the dingbat house anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Where do you think the wholesaling, flipping, buy and hold, where can a guy, you know, getting into this now with, with keeping his eye on the ball and understanding what might happen? Where do you mm -hmm. think that person transitions during that softening period and still makes some money? Well, really, historically, obviously, it's the best time to buy. But the funny, the funny thing about most real estate investors is they start off with very little money. And that's why I say get started in wholesaling. Look. The biggest problem with, with real estate investing is finding a deal, right? If, if you don't find a deal, you're not a real estate investor. You're just someone that's looking for property. 
So the art of finding the deal is is the most important aspect of real estate. Obviously, there comes funding, there comes a lot of things, but keep in mind a lot of that stuff will follow if you can find deals. If you're a deal finder, people will come to you. Uh, people will flock to you as long as people can find you. So we've got a, a pretty good never-ending supply of people that want what we've got. If you can find the deal, you can get involved in real estate investing. And then once you start getting good at finding deals, you can decide whether you want to keep some of them now and then. You may you may want to decide to flip them, but you know, getting into wholesaling, as long as you've got the wherewithal to do it, the the ability to to to, to swallow time, it if you need it. Yeah, it takes time, man, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like anything else. I mean, you you're, you know, obviously you're a hunter, you're a fisherman. It takes patience. It takes time. It takes work. You got to figure out what works. I mean, the tuna, tuna's going off on the coast right now, off, off our coast right now. And we go out there armed for bear all the time and come back skunked. You know, it's just, but we keep trying. We just keep swinging for the, and, and it's going to work eventually, right? It's the same thing with real estate investing. You've got to keep sharp. You've got to keep practicing. You've got to put in your licks. And eventually things start going your way, but it doesn't come overnight. And that's a good thing, right? If, if, if it was easy, everybody, be real doing. yeah, real estate investing wouldn't be a thing. So I, I would, you know, keep my eye on the ball. I would keep my eye open for deals that I can sell to other people. And now I've got dry powder, right? Now I've got cash in the bank. Now, if a deal comes along, maybe I can take it down. And then I would start working on telling people about what I'm doing so I can raise some private money. Or better yet, if you still got a daytime job, you can use your credit to actually get a mortgage so that you can buy a duplex, move into one and, and rent out the other. It's just baby steps, man. It's just baby steps. Some people just jump right in and, and crush it, but it's so rare. You see it, you see it online all the time. It's like, yeah, I, I bought this course and a week later I was a millionaire. But you know, that's I'm, doesn't happen my, all the time. Oh, I gotta watch my language, but that's baloney, right? <laughs> yeah know that as well as I do that, that that's not reality with anything somebody gets lucky now and then but not very often would you say in this whole game um, someone that has money or someone that can find a deal is most important oh finding the deal find the deal would you agree that if you can find deals finding money is not difficult in other words if you've got a tiger by the tail you've got a good deal going out and finding someone that has the money to close on the property that's the easy part. Finding the deal is the hard part. I would say that finding the deal is the harder part than finding the money. But finding the money can be difficult. A lot of people, they don't know how to ask. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to get it. Um, so that's a that's a whole different thing. But that's why you start off wholesaling. See, <clears throat> you can build up your reserves. You have the time to talk to other investors who might have money. Um, you can partner on deals. There's so many things that you can do while you're learning about real estate investing. If you start off wholesaling, a lot of people start off just buying properties and making mistakes, which is, it's cool. I mean, I like that. I, I'm fine with that. If you've got a good job and you can afford that, that's great. But most people, like I said, don't. So finding money would probably be easier than finding a deal, but still probably it's going to be rough for some people. All right, Mark, I've got a couple questions here I put out on Instagram. Got a question here. Can you talk about owning RV parks and your opinions on owning them? Oh, man. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, 
that's one of the subjects here at the office is, you know, should we try to find one? I think RV parks right now, especially are a really hot commodity. The prices have gone up enormously used to be able to pick them up from, you know, a mom and pop operation. RV sales are off the hook right now, as you know, I'm sure you, you know, being an outdoorsman, you know, what's going on in that, in that field. Uh, RV parks are stuffed to the brim right now. They're, they're a hot buy. It's, it's not, it's not under the radar anymore. Like mobile home parks aren't under the radar anymore. If you can find one and you can get it and you can run the numbers and make it work. Um, I, I would, I would do that today because I think, I think there's enough motorhomes and trailers out there right now that have been sold in the last few years. You keep it full for a while. Uh, I think people are, I think COVID has changed the landscape of traveling for many, many people in the United States. And a lot of them, it, it'll be many years before they decide that they want to get on an airplane or uh, they'd rather, they'd rather stay in an RV. So RV parks, I think are, are a big hit. Yes, they're a big hit. But what you're saying is that they're hard to find and the big boys have already been out there soaking them up and, and buying Don't them you. up. You might consider finding something that's maybe run down that you could go in and take a couple months and really rehab it up and get all the pad sites up and, you know, get them clean and, and, and do something like that. Uh, yeah. Certainly buying, you know, this beautiful RV park, you know, is going to probably cost you millions of dollars. The other thing you might consider, right, is uh, finding a piece of land that has the zoning and, and starting from ground zero. Would you agree, Mark, that if you could find the right piece of land in the right location, um, you know, with the right zoning, you could potentially fill that thing up pretty darn quick? You could, but it's always better to find something existing. The infrastructure is what's important. Zoning can take years. Uh, you know, we, we, we are flirting with the idea of, of doing a mobile home park out in the desert right now but the 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 stuff the hoops you've got to jump through you know it's probably going to take three or four years to get approval if they approve it sure because you've you got some, sewer and water and you've got all those yeah, issues you've got, um, got water is a huge issue but what i would do though is if you want a, a little cheat code to that guys you've got to learn to talk to people. If you're interested in doing that, then you might want to go around to every single RV park in your area that you know is mom and pop owned. And by mom and pop, I mean, Bill and Jean own it, right? You know, Bill and Jean, they come into the store and they buy stuff and they're getting older and they may want to do it and you become friends with them and then it becomes a deal. That's how you find the really, really good deals, guys. Great, great stuff. Uh, Next question, 28 years old and in the military, wait for better deals or buy my first rental property now? Uh, big question. Big, big question. I, I need more information, but let's just go off of what he gave us. I, I don't necessarily, I'm not worried about waiting. I have a, do we have time for about a, a 90 second story? Yeah. Okay. So. I got two neighbors on my street. One of them bought, our houses were built in 62, 1962. One of them bought in 62, one of them bought in 65. All right, so amongst all the old people that are still alive in my neighborhood, the guy that bought in 65 is still known as the guy that paid too much, right? <laughs> He's the guy that came in, you know, three years, two years, three years later and bought his house and everybody else bought their house for 25 or 30 grand and he paid 40. Right. He paid way too much, and he's still known for that. 
I'm sorry, he paid 40 grand for a house that's now worth 1.2 million. Did he really pay too much? Right. It, it really depends on how long you want to own it. The tax benefits of owning a property are pretty huge right now. And especially if you can, if, can we talk about house hacking for a second? For yep. these guys, people that are really, really young. Now I've got a family, I've got a wife and, and one, one child left in the house, a 17 year old, hardly a child. Um, house hacking for me might be a little bit different. Uh, I don't know that I want a lot of people living there, but if I was 28 and I could buy a house where I wanted and I could rent out rooms and cover my mortgage, it really wouldn't matter how much I paid for that house, right? I mean, in, in right. Essence, so what you're saying is you're buying your 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 28. You buy a four bedroom house. Three of the bedrooms are rented out to different people. They're in mm -hmm. essence paying your mortgage. And, and you're a net zero every month or maybe even making money, it doesn't right. matter what your initial purchase price is as long as you don't have to sell in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, prices will go up and they'll come down. And and, and take it one step further. I mean, I've got this series of, of, of house, house hacking videos on YouTube that kind of go over it in detail. But just, let's just say you convert the garage and move into that and now you're renting four bedrooms. Maybe now you're cash flowing, like you said. Maybe you can convert the dining room into another bedroom. I mean, there's, it's endless possibilities. And now you've got people coming in and paying rent. So now you've got write-offs, right? So you've got a W-2 job. You got, you got this job paying you 60 grand a year. And now all of a sudden, you're not really paying any taxes anymore because everything you do is, is, a, is a, a, an expense that can be written off on your tax return. So I mean, talk to your tax preparer, talk to the experts, but it opens up a whole new world for all these young people that really can't afford to buy a house right now, especially in the Midwest. Okay, next question. How much percent down usually on a rental property? Is it worth going to 20% to not pay PMI? Absolutely. But here's the thing. So if you get an FHA loan, which you can get, you know, you can get into that house for three and a half percent down. If it's cash flowing with the PMI, I don't have a problem with that. Now, I I don't have a problem with low down payments. I have a problem with low cash flow. So if you're buying a house and you're cash flowing 500 bucks a month with three and a half percent down and the PMI, I'm cool with that. And and here's the thing with FHA, the PMI never drops off. You actually you actually have to refinance out into a conventional loan to get rid of the PMI. But that's just another expense, guys. The idea is to get into the game and the timing is not so important. It's always nice to be able to buy low, right? But if you can make that property cash flow, it doesn't really matter. It's like saying, um, you know, I don't want to raise because I'm going to pay more taxes. Well, geez, guys, yeah, you're going to pay more taxes, but you're actually going to end up netting more money with that raise. So you're, you're, you're saying one thing that it doesn't make any sense. It's like saying, look, I know I can cash. I know I can make an extra 500 bucks a month if I buy a house now, but I want to wait for the prices to come down. It's like, okay, that's fine. But what about that 500 bucks a month? I'll wait. I'll wait until houses are cheaper. How about this? Buy one now, then buy one when they're cheaper. How's that sound? So. Right. So do you think a lot of people in a market situation like this where prices are very high, they feel like, oh, I'm going to wait till the market is dropped before I buy anything. But in essence, that could be, you know, two, three, four, five, ten years from now, potentially no one knows. And yeah. what you're saying is you would rather have them get into the property and cash flow 
whether that's 400 a month, five, 700, whatever it might be, and take that approach rather than I'm going to sit here and pay rent for the next seven years. Yeah, I, yes, for sure. Um, because during that time, you're paying down the loan, your 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 cash flow will increase. Generally, um, you're going to get better at the, you're going to get better at your craft. You're going to get better at finding properties. Look, I've bought properties too high before, and you know, then we had a little dip, and then they came back up. I mean, prices. You know, people don't even realize it, but prices have gone up and down since the recession. It's not. It hasn't been all fun and games and roses. We've we've had ups and downs. The market has has gone up and down a little bit during that time. So yeah, I mean, prices may go up, they may go down. Um, I know a lot of guys that 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 sat on the sidelines over the past couple of years, thinking that prices were going to go down and and have missed out on you know millions of dollars of equity. And I know people that have bought a ton of property during that time. Okay, next, we don't. Next, next question: If you had a million dollars cash right now to buy homes, would you pay all cash or would you finance them? Finance. Ex Absolutely. Explain that. Um, easy. This train is of an easy, easy question. So, if I can buy one house and pay it off, now I have one asset that's appreciating over time, right? We have one asset. We have one house. It's going to go up an average of six percent a year, let's say. Okay. And within 15 years, that payment that you're making on that house is going to be something that you don't even think about anymore. Okay, but let's say I take uh, that same million dollars and I buy, you know, five houses, let's say, um, and I put a down payment on each one, 20% down, whatever the case may be. They're all still cash flowing, but now I have five assets that are appreciating. See, appreciation is really important too, because you can take that money later on and you can use it to buy more houses. Um, you can use it to get loans against the house uh, through a HELOC, which is like an a line of credit against the house. You can buy, you can get a second mortgage and take it out and buy another property. Think about all those appreciating assets. The more appreciating assets you have, the more net worth you're going to have. The more net worth, the more the bank's going to look at you and go, hey, this guy's a player, right? So would you rather have one asset that's appreciating that's paid off or would you rather have five? Again, like I said, 15, 20 years down the road or 10 years down the road, you're not even going to be looking at that payment as a thing, right? Because of appreciation and and, and inflation. Yeah, makes total sense. Um Talk about your 40% rule. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's kind of an easy one. So if you're looking to buy your first rental property or your fifth one, you're going to be looking at a lot of houses, right? So you're going to have to analyze them and see if they're uh, a, viable, uh, a viable place to put your money. So what I do when I'm looking at houses or apartment complexes or whatever that I'm investing in, I will take 40% of the rent. Well, so let's say, let's make it easy. 40% of the rent is $1,000. So I'm going to take $400 from the rent right away. And I'm going to use that for what we call CapEx, which is capital expenditures, which could be a roof, a water heater, you know, major repairs. I'm going to take part of that and I'm going to take some out for small repairs. I'm going to take some out for property management, some out for property taxes, uh, utilities, yard maintenance. Insurance. Yeah, exactly. Anything you can think of, tax preparation, legal fees, 40% of that rent is going to be gone, right? And a lot of people are going to say, well, it doesn't cost that much. 
maybe not today, but two years down the road, you're going to be really happy when that tree falls through the roof and your insurance says, no, we're not going to cover that. Um, it, you will spend it eventually. And then on top of that, on top of the 40%, you need to call, also put in your debt service. Now, that's your, that's your payment. I included property taxes and I included insurance in the 40%, but you're going to have to put your payment on top of that. So if your payment's 300 and or 400, let's just say 400, and your 40% is 400, now you've got $200 left over and that would be your cash flow. And uh, things can go up, things can go down, but 40% is a pretty safe place. And it's a really quick way to look at a property and go, well, that, that doesn't work or that, that works great. Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to do all the numbers. And then once you decide that that property is the one, it passes the sniff test. It looks good. The forty percent rule fits, and everything else. Then you can do a deeper dive and see what they're really paying on it. You can ask them for their records. What do you think about the logic of someone that's buying rental properties and they're not really concerned about the price that they're paying? All that they're doing is getting a good properties, good locations. And they're cash flowing. They're not cash flowing a lot, but they're cash flowing. Uh, but in 15 to 30 years, that house will be free and clear. So their strategy is basically trying to get as many properties as they can and get good tenants in there and get, you know, longevity of, of tenants. And, and they're not really looking at how much is that property making me this month, but they're saying, you know, whether it's a 15-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage, someday that whole property is going to be, in essence, paid for. 80% of that property is going to be paid for by the tenant. What's your thought on that concept? Um, that works as long as it cash flows sufficiently. I mean, it doesn't really matter as long as cash flows there. Look, I know there's a lot of people that say, you know, this is it's called falling in love with a property generally. They say that, oh, this property is a great property. I'm not going to cash flow very much for the first five years if anything, but I know it's going to be a great property as long as I've got a good tenant. Well, the problem with that is, is you don't always have great tenants. I don't care what happens. People lose jobs, they get divorced, they start doing drugs, all kinds of crazy things can happen. And so then all of a sudden now you've got a tenant that's not paying, that may be very difficult to get out, that may be tearing out the walls while you're trying to do it. And now you've got a $30,000 capital expenditure when they move out. So that don't work very well. Um, that can happen with anything, but the higher the cash flow, the more insurance you've got uh, against that. Um, I don't spend um, a lot of the money that I make on rent uh, on my expenses. I, I spend the money that I make from flipping and wholesaling, and I put that money right back into our properties from the rents. But I, I do make sure that my properties cash flow sufficiently that I can, I can, I can not be working and still still be able to live so it's a, it's good in theory but the problem is, is uh, you could lose your job a lot of things could happen and a lot of people prop up their rentals with their job it's like oh we had a bad month we had to bring money in that's a no-no that's a no-no right there it's a the recipe property, for disaster isn't it it, it has to be self-sufficient absolutely does because you know your wife could get sick you could break your leg and there's so many things could happen your job could melt away so yeah, properties have to cash flow sufficiently. My rule of thumb is very simple. You've got to get a deal under market. You don't pay market for your rentals. And how do you do that? You make a crap load of offers. You work your ass off to get them. Uh, rule number two is it has to cash flow sufficiently. What is sufficient cash flow? That's subjective. You know, for me, it's 300 bucks a door. 
and a lot, but but that's easy for me to say because that's my minimum. I've got a lot of properties that cash flow more than that. Right. So you um, have a cushion to be able to have properties that only cash flow three hundred a month because you, exactly. you have a buffer there. Yeah. But but wouldn't exactly. you agree that as your portfolio grows, it gives you more of a cushion to be able to absorb and get more deals that might other people might not do, but you've got and it's still great deals. They're just not super high cash flows. But, you know, if you own them for 15 or 20 years, the potential that they appreciate a bunch could could come into play. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that that I don't have a problem with. But 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 we got to get back to the cash flow situation. They've got a cash flow. Look, it doesn't have to be a great deal. I I I never pay retail for a property though. I just and, and quite frankly, if you learn how to wholesale, you don't have to. If you learn how to wholesale, you do not have to pay retail for properties. Now, is there a learning curve? Is it hard? Yeah, of course there. It's there's a lot of work that goes into it, and you're you're gonna you're gonna win and lose and do all kinds of crazy stuff. But you know, hopefully, with the the information that's available out there, you don't have to make as many mistakes as I did coming up. But yeah, that's that's an okay strategy. But you got to be careful. That's all. You just have to be really aware that that. Uh, kind of the way I look at it, and it's kind of it's kind of sad, but it's true. I always think there's someone trying to pull money out of my back pocket. There's an attorney. There's uh, there's a repair person. There's and these are people that I you know I deal with on a daily basis. But they're constantly sticking their fingers in my pocket, grabbing money out. And it and it and it little bits and pieces add up to so much every month. You 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 know we look at it's like oh that property cash flowed you know ten grand this month. And then you really do the math and it's like, whoa, it's like four grand. What the heck? And that's just all these little things. Right. So. Okay. Next question. Airbnb versus long-term rental properties, pros and cons of both. Um, great question. So we have both and, uh, uh, our Airbnbs historically made way more money than our, than our long-term rentals. Um, long-term rentals, obviously don't have the fluctuations from things like, well, let's say COVID and things like that. So long-term rentals here in the, in the, in the, what we call the lower 48, were pretty good, but I mean, short-term rentals were pretty good here in the lower 48 because people didn't have anywhere to go. So they went and stayed local and, and, and people did very, very well with Airbnb type rentals, but ours were all in Hawaii. And guess what? Hawaii shut down. They wouldn't let anybody in for a year. So we suffered mightily. And the crazy thing is, and look, a lot of people are going to think I'm a a little bit hurt because, you know, it it got stacked against us here. Uh, But, you know, it's the truth. So I'm going to say it anyway. So uh, Honolulu or the, the city or the county of Honolulu, shut down vacation rentals uh, about a year and a half ago. They said, yeah, that's it, no more. The hotel lobby finally won their fight and they shut them down. And if you've ever been to Waikiki, half of the half of the places where you stay over there are individually owned condos. And it's been going on for 55, 60 years. So they shut that down overnight. And now all of a sudden everybody's got condos they can't rent out. And it's making somewhat of a comeback because we can rent them out for 30 days. But Every city has the ability to do that. The city of Anaheim did that same thing around Disneyland. So there's that, okay? So, so what you're saying is 
there's outside forces, municipalities, cities, states, et cetera, that you kind of worry about on Airbnbs that at any given time they could make a ruling and boom, you're shut down. Yeah, and especially if you're buying it based on the income that it will produce as an Airbnb. Now, if you buy it based on the income it will produce as a long-term rental and make it a short-term rental, probably you're obviously going to be fine. But even then, if you're in an area like the Smoky Mountains or or wherever there's a lot of, uh, of vacation rentals, um, you know, all of a sudden now you've got an influx of rental properties that used to be not rental properties, uh, short-term rental properties that are now hitting the long-term rental market, which is going to deflate prices, not only for, for, for the, the asset itself, you know, the house price, but it's also going to devaluate the rent, right? So now you've got 20,000 houses in an area that are all being Airbnb. That's a huge amount, I know. It was a 10,000 in Waikiki, I think. And now all of a sudden- They all hit the market. Do that anymore, so we'll put it up for sale. Well, 5,000 other people put them up for sale that same day. So now we've got the, the prices in that little micro uh, micro micro economy there uh, have all dropped down 20, 30%. And anybody that wants to rent it out, the rents have dropped down too. So there's outside forces like you said that can affect that. But having said that, that's the negative. The positive is that the, the cash flow is amazing. If you can find a place that, that, doesn't have issues uh, that looks like it's going to be a long-term play, then I have no problem with it. Just be really careful. Do your homework. Talk to the people at the city. Talk to the neighbors. You know, see see what the climate is. There's a lot of people out there pushing programs. It's like, get a VRBO, you'll make a ton of money. But yeah, there's there's downsides to it. Uh, the upside to long-term rentals, the down downside is you're not going to make as much. The upside is people tend to stay longer, obviously, and there's always going to be a market for rentals. So. How do you handle your long-term tenant rent increases? Do you go off a percentage or do you just kind of look at the comps and, and you know, cause they've been going up and up and up. How do you handle that with your long-term tenants? Uh, we, we are very, very uh, consistent on our, our rents going up. Um, we are typically five to 7% a year. And as long as you're consistent and people know they can plan, it's when you, I think where landlords get in a lot of trouble is when they have somebody renting a house for a thousand dollars a month for 15 years and uncle Bob comes along and says, geez, George, you're only charging that much. The rent should be 2,500. And you look at it and go, yeah, you're right. And then you go raise the rents and the people go, yeah, I don't think so. And, and they're out. So that, that is, you know, you, you, you put that on a tenant there. Yeah. They're more than likely going to move. But if you're if it's incremental, I mean, you know, five percent of a thousand dollars is fifty bucks a month. Yeah. Now that's that's a that's a lot of money for a lot of people that are living on a fixed income, but it's generally digestible. It's when you do the five hundred dollars a month or the three hundred dollars or even a hundred dollars uh, that it gets painful, depending on your market. Okay, we're getting close to the end here. I wanna finish on a couple of things. Um, what, what would you say directly to someone out there that's listening that is either in a bad spot financially, mentally, or just is in a position where they just want to change and they want to get into real estate and investing in real estate? 
give me, and I know you have tons of resource on your YouTube and, and your Instagram, and I encourage these listeners to you know, go out and follow Mark and, and watch and watch all the videos. He does a phenomenal job. But let's start at ground zero. Yeah. What would you tell those people? What you know, call to action steps would you tell them? Go out, do this, do this, and do this. You know what? Step one. Find somebody, and I don't care if it's me or somebody else. It doesn't really matter. But find somebody that you resonate with, that you trust. You know, you may be that guy that likes, and I know your audience is probably not this, but you may be the guy that wants the Lamborghini. You know, that, that, and that might be what floats your boat. Find who you resonate with that does what you want to do and try to not follow a 100 other people that are doing the same thing. The problem is I think people... They get these slightly different variations of what they want to do. And buying real estate is really a simple process. You find the property, you buy it, you rent it out. You find the property, you buy it, you flip it. You find the property, you put it under contract, and you sell the contract to somebody. Right? It's not it's not it's not it's rocket, rocket science. science, right? Yeah, yeah. So but there's so many people out there telling you how to do it and you know how to make billions of dollars in it. Find somebody you resonate with and kind of put your blinders on and go with it. Just go with it. Because what happens is people, like anything else, is like whenever you buy a gun or a crossbow or a fishing pole, I mean, if you're like me, I will literally look at something for six months before I buy it and I compare it to everything else. I backpack. Okay, just just the act of me buying a, a, a camp chair that fits in my backpack that I can take on a 60-mile hike, that took me weeks to, to research because I'm just that guy. But it was because it was fun. It didn't matter. But if you're doing that with a with an investment, guys, stop. Analysis paralysis. Get 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 over that. Find somebody you resonate with and start moving forward. Find find make a list of what you got to do to accomplish. And I'm and as luck would have it, in my link tree on my Instagram, I've got a list on how to get started to buy your first property. Just download it and start doing what it says. It's free. Doesn't cost anything, but. It's all these, you know, you probably are the same way. You get all these questions all the time, and it's like the same seven questions. So it's like, okay, I'm going to take those same seven questions, put them in a list, and now it's it's so much easier for everybody. But that's what you've got to do. You've got to just start moving forward. You can't keep analyzing. And you got to have some guts. you got to have some knowledge. And you've got to be able to work your ass off so that you can make enough offers to finally get a property at a decent price. Anybody can go out and buy a house at full price or over asking, right? I, I can go in and even even if, as competitive as it is right now, I can always offer more money for a house, right? Okay, well, the art of this is to actually find it under market value, which we do. I've got guys in the office next door. There's probably five of them working over there, and there's two guys in this office right here that are constantly working looking for houses, and it's just what they do, and you've got to put the time and the effort into it. You've got to do the reps, so that's what I would suggest you do commit to it and decide what part you want to be on, whether it's wholesaling or flipping or buy and hold or all three, I would suggest starting with wholesaling um, and go for it. Is that, is that a good yeah. answer? Okay. Yeah. And final question. How would you say real estate has changed your life? You know, it's funny. I work more hours now than I've ever worked in my life, but they're my hours. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, so many people, it's like, well, you seem to be working a lot. It's like, yeah, I am, but look what I'm building. And I get to spend more quality time with my family because I can dip out whenever I want to and do events and, and go on trips and things like that. It's 
transformed my life, especially you think about where I came from. I was bankrupt, destitute, and we managed to pull it off. And I'm not saying everybody that's bankrupt and destitute can do what I did. I mean, well, you pretty much can, but it's going to be it's going to be a rough haul. But it changed my life, and it, and I'm so thankful I did it. Mark, it's awesome. You've uh, brought a lot of value to this podcast. I appreciate your time. I uh, want to let you tell the listeners exactly how they can follow you. I recommend they do. I follow you and uh, get a kick out of a lot of your videos and, and get a lot of value. And, and it's, it's a it's a great place to be. So uh, why don't you do that? And if you had any final concluding thoughts, uh, feel free. Absolutely. So uh, Instagram, Mark McMahon Real Estate, uh, and also YouTube, Mark McMahon Real Estate. And I'm on a few other things. But if you if you if you can find me there you'll you'll get you'll get most of my uh my knowledge that i'm trying to pass along and guys this is life is rough and i don't care what job you decide to do it's going to be hard because if you're flipping burgers it's going to be hot it's going to be greasy and people are going to be giving you crap because you're you're flipping burgers okay and i'm not putting down anybody that flips burgers but life is going to be hard and then, you know i've heard this many times and you have too jay pick your heart man you, you want to do something hard? Everything's hard. So you may as well pick something that's going to actually do something for you rather than just provide a paycheck every week that you're going to spend. Find something that you can put money into that'll keep giving you money for the rest of your life. And I don't care if you're the stock market guy or the crypto guy, and I'm not suggesting any of those things. I'm, I'm a property guy because I, I can see it, feel it, touch it. But find something that, again, resonates with you and do it because it's only you. You've only got you to count on. Your boss can come up to you tomorrow and say, you know, Jim, really like what you've done over the past 25 years here and we really appreciate you, but we've made some moves and, and we've rearranged your, your, your department and unfortunately, we don't need you anymore. So here's a box and uh, security guard Joe here, I'll escort you out as soon as you fill it up. And also here's a check for $2,000. We thank you for your service and goodbye. That is what can happen to everybody out there that's listening right now. I don't care what your job is. If you're working for somebody else, that can happen. But if you own 15, 20 quality properties over the next 20 years, they can't take that away from you. They can't do it. So, guys. Awesome. Awesome stuff, Mark. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, God bless. Okay, buddy? God bless you too, man. Thank you so much, Jay. I love your love your content. Every time I see it, it's just, I'm not a jealous guy, but I was like, gosh, darn, why didn't I pick what he does instead of unclogging <laughs> toilets? I'm out there all day and look what you get to do. And, um, all right, buddy, you. take care. Look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely, buddy. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Guys, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to send me a direct message, you can do so on my Instagram account, which is at jscottoutdoors. You can also send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I appreciate all the feedback on the podcast, and I look forward to hearing from you. GoHunt.com Insider has filtering 2.0 where you can get draw odds, strategy articles, species and unit breakdowns, 
and unbelievable gear giveaways. Did you know that they actually have a point system where you get 11% back to the consumer for using points for every dollar spent? Also, a new addition is the mapping, Go Hunt Maps. You have the desktop version, you have the mobile version for iOS and for Android users. There's never been a greater value for the Go Hunt Insider. Check them out at gohunt.com forward slash jscott.